Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Sophie Land, the podcast. I'm Sophie Mikalova. I'm a writer, I'm a journalist, a teacher, a marketer, a creative and creator, and a whole host of other things that constantly shape shift, change and evolve. And now I am also a podcaster. My scope of work right now lies mostly within the realms of psychedelics, pop culture, travel, exploration, creativity and creation, and all the places where those things intersect. You may already know me from my weekly newsletter of the same name, Sophie Land. If you're not already subscribed, I really recommend that you check it out. Every Monday morning, I offer a personal essay, five things I like, a weekly mission, and more. And it's also where I'll be posting the transcriptions of this podcast, so if you don't want to listen, you can choose to read. Sophie Land, the podcast, is still in its embryonic stage. Although I've done a podcast before, What is Experimental Music, which I'll link in the description, this is my first ever attempt at hosting alone. I'm excited to see what it becomes and who comes on here and what fascinating conversations we'll have around all the things that interest me and that I want to talk about. Thank you so much for being here. Let's begin. I'm here with Peyton Nyquist, the founder and CEO of Numinous Wellness. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, let's get right into it because we don't have a lot of time. And as we talked about TikTok brains, so these are going to be <laughs> short episodes. So Numinous Wellness is your company. Yeah. Yeah. And you're focused a lot on ketamine and psilocybin therapy services providing. Yeah. So it was really, um, really what we looked at is, is the recognition that obviously, you know, how do we support the, this kind of paradigm shift of psychedelic therapies becoming available, but knowing and, and kind of to, to what we were talking about before of believing that not just ketamine, but also MDMA, psilocybin, other psychedelic therapies are going to become available. But how do we really build the container that needs to be created to support those therapies so that they can really be affecting, effective and lasting for people? Um, and, and with that, you know, I think we're going to experience some challenges within the psychedelic space as well. Um, these are powerful tools and 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 it's still such a new space. Correct. Correct. And the thing that, you know, even through my own experience, the recognition of like, yes, these experiences are profound and, and cathartic and all of those things, but they're only as effective as the container that can really help hold people through that. And so that's what Numinous has really looked to create. That. So you've been at the forefront of the psychedelic space in Canada for about five years now. Mm-hmm. How does that feel? And what are you most excited about when it comes to the future of psychedelics in Canada? Like given that you're like very much on the leading edge of it, like you are the only company in Canada that has like Health Canada approval yeah. to harvest psilocybin mushroom grow and harvest psilocybin mushrooms for therapeutic use that's incredible yeah it's it's been wild to to see how quickly things have progressed um Mm -hmm. when i started numinous five years ago i really didn't think things would advance as quickly as they have um but uh but you must have had like you were like i'm not gonna start this company just to have it like sit around for 10 years uh, i think you had an inkling not (laughs) sit around but i i i mean i i definitely i saw what was happening and and again through my own experience i I, I knew that I wanted to do something to give back. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, to, and, and we were sharing early talking about this earlier, but there's kind of this easy judgment of like regulators aren't doing enough or all these kinds of things. Health Canada has moved really, really quickly through a very complex, uh, 
question and 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 a very mm-hmm. complex situation around psychedelic therapy. Yeah, they basically have to like rewrite everything and like create a new framework. Yeah, yeah, and and I think we've seen you know whether you the Section fifty six exemptions that you saw a couple of years ago start to get approved. Now you know the changes to the special access drug program, which we which we helped change. Yeah, you know that they've they've been thoughtful and moved very very quickly, and I and I think. Um, that's only going to probably continue to happen here over the next couple of years. Yeah, that's good to hear. I'm really excited about that as well. Like, I remember when all the cannabis stuff was happening, like, what, five, six years ago? And I feel like this is, like, that's why I get so alarmed when people are like, oh, it's moving so, so, like, to me, this is, like, at the speed of light compared to the cannabis stuff. Like, it's crazy. And I think we have to be super, like, people... People are so there's such this passion for psychedelics, and mm-hmm. I, and I think that's amazing, but I think we have to be very intentional as well. Like you know, again, these are very very powerful compounds, yep. and yes, we want access, but psychedelics are so also aren't for everybody. They're not for everyone. Yeah. I think that's so. Like, thank you so much for saying that. I think that's so important. I really think that the rhetoric online and like in mainstream media around psychedelics is overwhelmingly positive yeah they are not for everybody they need to be treated with respect especially some of them that are really powerful like these aren't even recreational substances Mm -hmm. like you can't do these things for fun and you have to be careful and i think this goes back to what you're talking about with the container like yes you can have the session the experience and the integration but preparation is also very important absolutely to knowing like to know what you're going to walk into and to be open to that experience and to know that it may not go the way that you want it to yeah a lot of these places will sell healing i think like personally i think that's dangerous well and, and the potential for abuse is so high yeah and i and i think you know that there's so much positivity out there about psychedelics and and frankly you know rightfully so if people are paying attention to you know, even if you look at the clinical trials, if people are paying attention to how these compounds are being used, even even historically, like how mm-hmm. have these compounds been used in, you know, indigenous groups who've worked with these compounds for thousands of years. And it wasn't like, hey, everybody just does mushrooms in their living room and all of a sudden yeah, they and become... Yeah, and everybody has a party and right. it's so crazy and we don't measure it out. Right. No, there's, there, there was intention around it. There was community that was built around it. There, there was, was ceremony. ceremony that oh. was, there you go. <laughs> you know, all of those kinds of things, right? And there was understanding of like, and reverence for... Yeah what this is for and, and the intention behind it. And I think the thing that makes me very nervous right now is you see all of this positivity, these clinical trials that come out and the the huge kind of like increase in use of psychedelics is not from people who come from a community of understanding psychedelics. It's the, you know, it's the single mom who has severe postpartum depression that yeah. is looking for support who looks for access, mm-hmm. right now can't find it, but guess what? Can find all kinds of retreats online and people saying like, I'm this healer or yeah, I'm, I'm that I'm healed, healer. I'm a shaman. Right, like- I, right. Like, and whatever that means. And, and, and you know, the, um, the high degree of potential for abuse. Mm-hmm. And, and we've unfortunately already seen this where people have been sexually abused, they've been emotionally yeah. abused by people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they could come out of these retreats with like more trauma. A hundred percent. They can go into psychosis, especially when you're working with, you know, things like 5-MeO, like, mm-hmm. and a provider that doesn't know what they're doing with it. Like, these exactly. are really powerful substances. Exactly. Like, I mean, I mean, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, you go, you go it, perfect example, if you go, whether it's to the Amazon, you go to indigenous communities who have worked with these compounds, for you to be a person who's providing that ceremony, a lot of that tr- time, that training is 10 to 15 10 years. 10 plus years, like and, over and you've, decades. And you've lived in a community yeah. who, who exists with, like this has been a part of your community and your culture yeah. since the day you were born. Right. Not like, hey, I did, you know, some weekend workshop once and now I'm ready to to give. Right. Yeah. I interviewed um, like a while back for an article about uh, underground facilitators and like indigenous lineages. Dario Giofrado. I can't remember his last name, but he is uh, he's Italian, but he basically lived in Ecuador with a tribe Mm -hmm. for like eight plus years. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me the process of basically like a lot of like prayer and like self-meditation and then living among the local community and following the main healer around until the community was willing to go to him and he was like in this lineage when you use the medicines the traditional way you have to like the community will decide if you're the healer or not exactly you don't get to choose and be like okay all of a sudden i'm now ready to right. give the medicine like he had to earn that right and you he don't still just pop goes up, back yeah. you don't just pop up a website and an instagram account and say guess what i'm i'm the healer now yeah, yeah. on yeah. that note of like things popping up i mean you are based in vancouver where it's uh, a little bit more looser when it comes to <laughs> the drug regulations but here in toronto we've had a lot of uh, dispensaries open up as well yeah. i personally spent a lot of my time in the dispensary scene i think it's super interesting i think it's a really kind of fun form of like guerrilla activism yep. in a way so i yep. do kind of like applaud it mm-hmm. i'm wondering what your thoughts on that are about like increasing access to people i think i think so broadly speaking i think access is really important mm-hmm. and and i think you know people ask me like <clears throat> do you support decriminalization do you support legalization do you support medicalization of psychedelics and my answer is is yes i yeah. I, I support I blanket think, statement <laughs> yeah i think all of it is important um but again i think we have to really be cautious about how we're supporting those things and and who we're thinking of it through the lens through like you know the decriminalization movement and this argument around like everybody as long as you're not harming somebody else everybody should have access to explore their own consciousness yes i 100 percent agree with that Try going to someone with suicidal ideation or severe depression and saying, like, why don't you just go and explore your own consciousness? They'd be like, that's not in the cards for me. Yeah, not that's, the best place to be. That's, 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 the, I can't even consider that, right? Yeah. So we also have to go, like, and how do we provide financial support for those people? How do we provide safe and supportive container for those people? Um, and, and again, like, let's, let's, let's be honest about education and, and, um, you know, setting people up for success and, and not just be like, you know, these should be for everybody. Like if, if we learn anything from the Timothy Leary age is, you know, drugs for everybody is, is, you know, maybe not the answer. Not the most popular opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think we just have to be cautious. Right. Yeah. yeah. What do you think that, I mean, I think these dispensaries are going to open up regardless. I 100%. interviewed Dana Larson, who yeah, yeah. you know from yep. Yep. not too long ago. And he told me that he thinks in the next two years, there's going to be a hundred at least opened up across Canada. Yep. I completely agree. Like if what we're seeing in Toronto, Ottawa and Vancouver is yep. a sign, like people have money, mm-hmm. they're willing to open up these chains and invest millions into them. They have lawyers on retainer that they're mm-hmm. confident in. What do you think that these dispensaries could do to create safer environments? and to care more about the consumer. I, I, I think there's an opportunity with the dispensaries to really 
do a good job of education. Like I, I, like I, workshops or yeah, like pamphlets? Workshops, pamphlets, like how, you know, if someone's going into a dispensary, like the person who's engaged, like I remember I went into a dispensary, <laughs> I went into a dispensary in Vancouver and they were selling coca leaves, right? And, yeah. <laughs> you know, coca leaves are used in Peru it's legal in Peru. It's used as a tea. It's used for like altitude, altitude yeah. climatization. Like it's used for all these, and they have a very healthy relationship with that plant. In Peru, they have some of the largest cocaine or or the the lowest cocaine addiction rates on the pla- on the planet, and they're the largest producer of coca leaf right. in the world, right? Because they have this different relationship with that drug. Yeah. But I go to this dispensary and I go, "Oh, you're selling coca leaf here," and they go, "Yeah. Would you like some baking soda with that?" Oh, and I was like, no, I'm not interested in, you know, which essentially is the tools to making to make your own cocaine. Right. Oh, wow. Right. And so I think as we're putting out building these dispensaries, you know, like as an example, like I know uh, a mother is an example and, I, and I'm using this example. This was very, very close to home for me, but I had it. my wife suffered with severe um, postpartum depression. And for a year and a half, you know, through we we had our first child through COVID, um, and she was really, really, really struggling. And you know, has a very different development path than I do. Um, and after a year and a half, was was in a very, very challenging spot, and decided to try microdosing psilocybin. A week of microdosing psilocybin, and she literally comes skipping down the stairs one day wow. and says, "My postpartum is completely gone." She microdosed for six weeks, stopped, wow. and it never came back. Does right? she still microdose? I mean, that's a, that's an amazing she, story. She's she's pregnant. We're having our second, oh so God. she's pregnant again. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so she's so she's off the microdosing train. I mean, yeah, of course. And yeah. she's like feeling excited to have a second. Super child. excited, wow, and, that's and was amazing. able to move through that. Um, that's powerful. Yeah, and so I I think I think as dispensaries again, like there's this opportunity to to educate. And yeah. this opportunity to like really help people, um, and people need that. I mean, you, I know lots of people who run online dispensaries, and literally they can't keep product on the sell- on the shelf. It yeah, sells people out so fast. Really want it. Like, my my really wife is it. in this in this online group, and it's it's called like Moms Who Microdose or something like yeah, that. Yeah, big there's, shout out to Moms Who Microdose. That's right. That's right. And there's three hundred thousand people in this. It's a like, huge community. It's a huge community. And so we we have to provide better education. That there's certainly a market that is there because these dispensaries continue to pop up. But let's just tell the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the fact is, and it's part of the reason why I love this whole space is the fact is more impressive than the fiction is. We don't have to. You can't make this up. <laughs> you can't make it up. And so, you know, let's let's just tell the truth and let's give people the opportunities that are there with psychedelics and let's talk about the risks. Yes. Because it's only going to take a couple of very bad stories for this to, you know, get hampered and, and end up back where it's been for the last 50 years. Yeah. To go right back to... Where it was after the LSD research That's and right. stuff. And, you know, Canada was like the hub for that. A hundred percent. Like you, Saskatchewan, people don't know that. Saskatchewan was the hub for... That's for, where, like, the word was 
invented that's right. the word psychedelic. Yeah. So Humphrey Osmond. Yeah, and big shout out to Humphrey Osmond for giving us jobs. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> um, right. And we are slowly running out of time, but like quick note on the microdosing. You were saying that your wife microdosed for a week and felt a profound difference. There's mm. a lot of like articles. There's a lot of like conversation around microdosing like i do it myself mm-hmm. i am a fan i started doing it during covid because like everybody else i was depressed mm-hmm. <laughs> um and i found it really effective mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. do you think that it actually works or if it's just placebo and if it is just placebo what do you what do you think i mean that we were talking about this before yeah. but like what is like what is placebo yeah it's just your mind how much how much are you willing to pay for a placebo effect right like that i think the anecdote for me the anecdotal evidence watching what's happened with my wife you know i've microdosed and it's been helpful for me i think there's something there that is positive because so many people are speaking so positively about it so many people have had amazing responses to it and when it comes to microdosing i think the reason why it's also so popular is because for a lot of people who have never had a psychedelic experience it's a really nice way to kind of introduce yourself to mushrooms or lsd or whatever you're choosing to take and i think it's done a, a, a really remarkable job of breaking down stigma yeah. around psychedelics which i think has been really really important yeah especially around older people yeah like people like 50 plus exactly and so i think that that's really really great the the one thing i i think all is important as well is i think a lot of people get like the amount of people who call us saying like oh you 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 know you're in psychedelics you mean microdosing and we go no 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 like there's more to it than that there's, eh? <laughs> there's a lot more to it than that so i think while there's this education and interest in microdosing, which is, I think, amazing, we also have to really lay out, like, what is the difference between microdosing with psychedelics and psychedelic therapy? Because yeah. um, they're very, very different things. And even, like, recreational psychedelic use. I feel like the conversation around psychedelics has gotten so serious that, like, yeah. some of us who started working with psychedelics, like, for fun, yep. you kind of forget that they can be fun. Yep. And I think... There's really nothing wrong with that. You're allowed to just take like a couple grams of shrooms and go into the woods with your buddy. Yep. That's still okay. And that can still be a profound experience. And and I think I think that also speaks to healing more broadly. Mm, like I, yeah. I, I think I think we have to break, you know, even like trauma work. You know, people go into even for myself, like there's this expectation that like healing has to be hard and, and you like, know suffering. Suffering and all like no, the whole point of like you're so broken that's, you have to fix that's yourself that's right that's right and i think what psychedelics can do is like yes you'll reach moments of challenge yeah. as 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 you do through these experiences but healing doesn't have to be this hard negative uphill battle uphill it's battle it's not linear at all in general either. exactly exactly so i think i think there's an opportunity for us to reframe the way we think about that yeah, right? yeah. of course i love that big shout out if you want to reframe your thoughts on healing big shout out to the instagram page uh at healing from healing mm. do you follow adam? i don't know that one. Oh my no. god it's it's so good cool. so um adam if you're listening to this come on to my show please <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Peyton, thank you so much for the interview what an enlightening conversation i will let you go do the many more interviews that you have to do <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Sophie Land. I'd love to thank all the people who made this possible. Thank you to Peyton for being my first guest, to Link Studios for the recording space, to Moore for the recording and the audio editing, and of course to Nine Point Agency for the Media Connect, and to you for listening. For more of my work, you can subscribe to my newsletter Sophie Land on Substack or find me on Instagram at Sophie Does Everything, which for now are my two main containers for sharing my work and being in touch with you. But that might eventually change too. Thank you again so much for listening and I can't wait to see you again in the next episode.